The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. We said that what we want to do is to make sure that we are all on the same page on the fact that serving God in missions is a privilege, never a burden. And what I want us to do is to look at a passage that makes this point in a powerful way. In uh, Joshua chapter 5, we only look at uh, the three verses. Joshua chapter 5, from verse 13 to verse 15. Joshua 5, 13 to 15. Joshua chapter 5, from verse 13 to verse 15. I know it's easy to find your place these days because of electronics, so I'm sure we are all there now. Now, this is, of course, the occasion is, is of course, the eve of the destruction of Jericho, and Moses is no longer on the scene, and Joshua is in charge of leading the children of Israel. Uh, He's led them across the Jordan, and now they have to take possession of the promised land. It's an an enormous task. And Joshua has spent many years in preparation for this moment. He has seen the enemy before. He was one of the 12 spies that Moses had sent to scout the land many, many years ago. And as you know, the report wasn't very good because 10 out of the 12 pronounced it mission impossible. There are seasoned warriors out out there. We look like grasshoppers before them. And this had struck fear in in the hearts of the people, and they wanted to go back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb tried to persuade them not to do that, not to give up on on this mission that had been given to them by God, but they wouldn't listen. and, And as you know, that entire generation was wiped out, and it was only their children who would leave to face this moment. But that was many years ago. Joshua has since built many castles in the air, and the day has come for him to lay down the foundation. He had assured the people the mission could be done, but now it's time for him to put all of this into practice. And so he is pacing about, this is the eve of the destruction of Jericho, and he is pacing about with the weight of the entire nation on his shoulders. You can just about see him adjusting his bracelet. He had one, WWMD, what would Moses do? (laughs) So that's why we pick up the story in uh, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Verse 14, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now from this brief story in the Old Testament, I want us to, I want to highlight two two lessons that Joshua needed to learn to be able to accomplish his mission, which are the same lessons that you and I need to learn to be able to accomplish the mission that God has given to us. And the very first lesson that Joshua needed to learn was this. The primary call of God is to know him, not to serve him. The primary call of God on your life and my life is to know him, not to serve him. This is yet another moment of God's self-revelation to Joshua. And you and I have read this passage before, so we know what's going on. We know who this is, who appears to Joshua. We are 
he is identified as the Lord in the next in the next chapter. And Bible scholars tell us this was actually an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. And so when Joshua says to him, "Are you on our side?" or on our, on our enemy's side. The answer catches you completely by surprise because it's not what you and I would expect. We expect this person to say, I be not afraid, Joshua, I am on your side. But that's not what he's told. What he's told is, neither. I am not on your side, and I am not on your enemy's side. Now this sounds, this would be very, very confusing to me because if I'm in a mission that I believe God gave to me, especially when it's so enormous, and then God appears to talk to me, I expect him to say, be not afraid, I'm on your side. But he says he is not on my side and he is not on my enemy's side. Now we need to realize what is happening here because Joshua doesn't ask the kinds of questions that I'm asking because he gets the point immediately. And he didn't, uh, he, and what God is saying to Joshua in this instant is, I am not here to take sides. I am in charge. This is my battle, not yours. And you just get the privilege to be able to participate in it. The question was not, what side was God on? The question was, what side was Joshua on? And the question for you and me this morning is, which side are we on? If we really think that serving God is a, is a burden if we, if we approach it that way. We have not properly understood the mission that God has given to us because when we begin to know God and to learn who he truly is, it actually becomes something exciting, something that, that fuels us with passion, something that is, uh, that is uh, full of fun in what, in what we do. I've gone to places, to some places to preach where I can't even name the country and I remember being in one place where I was thinking, if I really do say what I'm thinking about who Jesus is, will I be able to get out of this place uh, alive? And yet, God has his own way of making it possible for us to share the gospel even in those kinds of places. And my fear wasn't, I didn't feel like God uh, really is, is really lucky to have me here. I felt like I was really blessed to be in a place like that where I could be able to share the gospel and in everything that we do. And I'm not saying that all of us need to be out there in the, in the mission field and that if you don't do that, something is wrong with you. No. Whether you are sharing the gospel across the street or around the world, as the song says, the mission remains the same. It is where God places you and what he's called you to do, whether you're going to be able to, 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 um, to represent him and his ambassador. Tomorrow, on Friday, we'll talk about some of the challenges that we face in sharing the gospel in your context here in the U.S., uh, and so we will, we will look at that and see how you can be able to, where we can be able to work together in places like Kenya and other parts of, of, of the world to be able to, to, to showcase the unity that is ours in Christ Jesus. So Joshua needed to learn this lesson that this mission wasn't his. God was not there to take sides. He was completely in charge. Can you imagine what a relief it was for Joshua to finally learn that the weight of the entire nation was actually not on his shoulders, that it actually rested on God himself? This is the lesson that he needed to learn, and it's a lesson that you and I need to learn as well. 
we get, I do a lot of apologetics, uh, evangelism through apologetics, and so we get a lot of questions, especially from young people. And they are very important questions. We take every question very seriously. The tragedy is, many times, you talk to a person who tells you that he or she is on the verge of walking away from God. But in the course of talking to them, you come to realize that they're about to walk away from a God whom they never knew in the first place. And that is a real, real tragedy for each one of us. John 17 and verse 3 is a verse that actually comes very, very close to giving us a definition of what eternal life is, what we are called to do, and what we are called to be. Because if you ask the average person today what eternal life is, they will tell you it's being able to be with God when you die. But according to John 17 and verse 3, that is not what eternal life is. The verse says that eternal life is knowing God through Jesus Christ, and that begins the moment you and I become believers. God calls us to be, to, to be able to know him from the moment we become believers, and from knowing him, and from that fellowship with him, from growing in our knowledge of who he is, we become emboldened to be able to represent him wherever he sends us. And the Bible, even the scriptures, even the Bible itself was given to us to that end, to be able to know who Jesus is. Jesus said to the, to the, to the Pharisees, many of whom had the entire Old Testament memorized, he said to them, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life, and yet you refuse to come to me uh, to have life. These scriptures, he says, testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. They are a means to an end, and the end is knowing God. From his classic book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer writes the following. From current Christian publications, you might think that the most vital issue for any of you or would-be Christian in the world today is church union, so social witness, or dialogue with other Christians and other faiths, or refuting this or that ism, or developing a Christian philosophy and culture. It is tragic that so many in our day seem to have been distracted from what was, is, and always will be the true priority for every human being that is learning to know God in Christ. That is a lesson that you and I need to learn if we are truly going to be people who can be ambassadors of Christ, even in difficult places. The Apostle Paul was even more explicit in making this point in Acts chapter 17, from verse 24 to verse 5. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not, does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. God doesn't really need anything from us. It's actually a real privilege for us to be able to serve with him. I remember when we lived in California and our boys were, were, were very little, one of them was about maybe three years old or so. He loved joining me. When I was, when I was uh, mowing the lawn outside, he would come and help me. He would come with this, without his shirt and his, his grass, sunglasses, and he would stand behind the, the, the lawnmower. It took me about two hours to cut the lawn when I worked with him. By myself, it was about 25 minutes. But I really, really enjoyed it uh, because I got, I got the, the pleasure of being able to work with my son. And that's how God feels working with you as his child. And that's why we keep saying we, do, we, we, we just hope that it's going to be obvious to you that we, by the time we are done, that this is a real privilege that God has given us to do, uh, to, uh, to be in mission. 
Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because I'm revealing everything I'm doing to you. I want to be able to work with you. So that's the first lesson, that the primary call of God is to know him. And, and it's not to serve him. You serve him out of your knowledge of who God is, out of the fullness of, of, of who you are in him. The second point we need to learn is this. We cannot know God without submitting to God in humility. We cannot know him without submitting to God in humility. When Joshua had the, the response from, from, uh, from, from this person that he didn't know at this point, he knows who it is, he just falls face down to the ground in reverence, and in humility, he waits for instructions from God. What message do you have for me? And if you notice, we go right back to where Moses was when he was called to serve God. Uh, on his knees, when he was before the burning bush, on his knees, sandals off, because he was standing before a holy God. Submission to God in humility is the path of being used by God and being able to impact many other people whom you never thought you could be able to impact. The reason I, I told you my story in a little bit of, uh, of detail last, last time on Monday wasn't so that you can feel sorry for me. You don't need to do that because God has blessed me beyond anything that I ever thought would be possible. The reason I did that was to make this simple point that if God can use someone like me, he can use anybody. If God can send someone like me to the places he has sent me to preach the gospel, he can send any of you. All we have to do is to be willing to submit in humility before God and wait for instructions from him. God's love is unfathomable. It's so great. And as you know, Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners, and he was, uh, people questioned him doing all of that. His love knows no bounds. But the Bible makes this very serious claim that God will hold you at arm's length if you're filled with pride, that he actually resists the proud. God wants us to come to him in humility and be able to serve him as he has called us to do. You know, many people who reject God, it is, many of them will tell you, especially when we go to university campuses, not a place like, like here, but we go to all kinds of schools, and they will tell you, my reason gets in the way when I try to serve God or to know God. But I want to tell you, their reason has nothing to do with it. It's pride that gets in the way of our knowledge of who God is. And some of them are honest enough to admit this. Here's a, here are the words of a philosopher known as Thomas Nagel, one of the most respected of the previous centuries, still writing. And here's what he says. I speak from experience being strongly subject to the fear of religion. In other words, he fears what we are doing here. And he says, I want atheism to be true, and I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. This is the attitude we bring, an attitude of rebellion against God, and it can infect us even as, believer, as a believer. I remember I was just standing just outside the chapel when I saw my friend, as she, she came to say hello to me. I won't tell you who it was. She might be listening because some of the people that I went to school with are here. She had a T-shirt with a picture of a big Bible, and this was emblazoned across uh, the, the front. It said, it said this, when all else fails, read the instructions. So 
I, want, I walked up to her and I said to him, to, I mean to her, what happens if what I'm doing, in my own opinion, isn't failing? What then? And then I said, and then, and the other problem is, if these really are the instructions, why would you want me to try everything else? And then if everything else fails, come to the instructions. Should I, should I not read the instructions first? And maybe I'll have some more success in life. Because this is, this is life. We are not putting together a Christmas toy. This is life. The, the <laughs> and she said, huh, I never thought of it like that. And yet, that is the attitude our lives take over and over again. We are saved by grace, and we are, we are totally undeserving of that grace. God's love, like I said, is truly unfathomable. You'd be very offended, would you not, if you found out that your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your spouse picked you because they had no other options? That would be, that would be very offensive, right? And yet, how do most of us find God? It is when we get to the end of our rope. That's God's address, right? The end of our rope. And when we turn to him in that condition, what does he do? He runs to us like he did the prodigal son, as though we have always known and loved him. His love is totally unfathomable. You know the person who really loves you? It's not the person who sees you every now and then and just tells you how much they love you. It's a person who knows you with all your weaknesses, with all your problems, and they still love you. That's a person who you can be sure really loves you. And that's the way God is with you and with me. He does, he's not taken by surprise by anything that we do. He already knew what would happen, and he just calls for repentance. And when you stumble, you get up and you keep walking. And if we do that, we'll be living in our purpose, the purpose for which he put us in this world. And when that's true in our lives, God will be glorified and God will be honored in our lives as well. I remember reading the biography of uh, D.L. Moody, written by his son. D.L. Moody, as you probably know, was the Billy Graham of the 1800s. Thousands of people came to Christ everywhere he went to speak. And there was a scholar in England by the name of Dr. R. W. Dale. He became very fascinated by the success that Moody was having, and he wanted to know what the secret of that success was. So when Moody went to preach in England, Dr. Dale followed him all over the place, trying to figure out what his success was. And in this biography, it says that one day, he looked at Moody and he said to him, I can see that your success is coming straight from the Holy Spirit because there's no connection between who you really are and what you're able to do. And I want to tell you, that's the best compliment that anybody can be able to pay us, that we really do have God working through us. And that takes anybody, any of us, being able to be given out to God in that way. This is the God that we serve, and this is the God who has really called us. We never want to be grown-ups before God. We are not to be childish, but it's our privilege to be childlike before him because we are, we are never going to be able to outgrow the lavishness of God's love on us. We are never going to be able to outgrow that. As C.S. Lewis put it this way, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far to Israel, pleased. My wife and I have two boys who were both born in LA, um, and we used to have, we used to have a, every time you came to visit us, 
we had a disclaimer that you had to sign, and it went like this. The views and opinions expressed by the boys are not necessarily those of the parents. <laughs> and it's because of what would come out of their mouth every now and then. I remember one day, my, I was, was watching my son. He was lying down on the, on the living floor, just looking up with his hand behind his back, uh, one leg on his knee, and he, a big smile broke out on his face, and then he says, I want to die as a little boy. My wife and I looked at each other in complete surprise, not knowing what to do with that. So I said to him, son, why would you want to die as a little boy? And he said, because if I get too big, Jesus will not be able to pick me up. You have to hug me. And I did not know how to respond to such a profound idea. But, <laughs> but we were reading. We were reading through the Chronicles of Narnia. I was reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia with them. And as you know, time runs very differently in, uh, in, in Narnia than it does here. A, a few seconds here could be hundreds of years in Narnia. And the children, the Pevensi children, have not, have not been in Narnia for a very long time. And when they go back, they see Aslan, uh, the lion, who is a figure of Christ. And when they see Aslan, they are dumbfounded because Aslan looks so big, so huge. And one of them, one Lucy, gasps, and she says to Aslan, Aslan, you're bigger. I'm paraphrasing. And um, Aslan explains. He says, he says, no, I'm not any bigger than the last time you saw me. And they're very confused because Aslan does look very big. And so uh, Aslan explains what's happening. He says, I'm actually not any bigger than I was the last time that you saw me. But here's what's happening. Every year you grow, you find me bigger. Every year you grow, you find me bigger. Here is what C.S. Lewis was saying in a way that um, my, my little boy could understand. That the more we come to know God, the bigger we realize he is. That we can never truly exhaust uh, the lavishness of God on us. Because the more we come to know him, the bigger we realize him to be. So I read that to, to our son and explained that to him. And he was really, he, he understood it. And he was really happy about that. I told him, you can get as big as you want to. You can even become a bodybuilder if you want to. Jesus will never have any problem picking you up and loving you as his son, which is true for each one of us. That's the love of God with which he calls us to be able to participate with him in the mission that he's called us to do in this, in, in this world. God needed to teach Joshua that he had to depend on God. He had to know God and realize that the battle that God had given to him was actually his. It was actually God's battle. It was just inviting Joshua to participate with him. And he also needed to learn that he had to bow down his knee in humility before God and, and, and accept whatever God had in store for him. Jesus calls you friends. He calls me a friend. And he wants us to be able to do these kinds of things that we do, that he's called us to do. You know, when we left here, uh, we went to Talbot, we studied there, and then I went to, we, we went, moved to Georgia, and I went to, I, I did a PhD there in philosophy, and the reason I did that was because I really wanted to be able to communicate the gospel to people who say that it's actually a reason that keeps them from knowing God. So I wanted to study philosophy and be able to, be able to, uh, to, to speak to these people in, in, in such a way. And the reason for that, as we will see on, um, on Friday, is because we... We, 
the, the church is struggling here in the West, unfortunately in Europe, and now increasingly in, in the US in, in, and in Canada as well. But the church where we come from, and in the so-called Global South, is exploding, is growing uh, in, in huge numbers. Everywhere we go, a lot of people want to give their lives to Christ, and there are questions after questions. We, we, we can, I, I could be gone from home speaking pretty much every day if, if, if I wanted to. Um, but that's, 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 that's a huge privilege that the church is doing so well in those places. Here's the big problem, as we will see on Friday. We haven't been tested as you all have been here. You've had to deal with modernism, existentialism, postmodernism. We have no idea what those things are in our context. And yet we have to weather that, that storm. So whatever is going to come out of this setting, out of the West, out of the problems that, 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 that I hear, is going to be exactly what the world needs to be able to understand what the gospel is. So this is really not the time to give up. When you see the culture uh, collapsing and things changing so much, it's not the time to give up because our God is still God and he's still on the throne. And so what we have to do is to prepare ourselves to be able to help our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world who we will soon be facing these issues. And because of how small the world has become, it's not going to be possible not to face this problems. You're going to be able to face them. So when we think of world reach, you think of your context and how difficult it's becoming again and again, where we are so confused about what is true and so confused about morality, even our identity. We don't know who we are anymore. That's, that's, that's what's, what's going on here. This is the time for the children of God to really know who they are and to be able to know their God because those who know their God will be able to do exploits. So when you do that and you rise out of that, that storm, you'll be able, you'll be properly equipped to be able to deal with those situations in our context. So we need you to be able to help us. So we need to be able to work together. We'll talk more about this on, on Friday. But I do want to um, now finish with prayer. Uh, so that we can, like I said, I, I get paid to speak. I could do this for the rest of the day. <laughs> but let us pray, and then we will continue on Friday. Father, we thank you so much for the reports we have heard about students here who have gone out to places where they can see the needs that are there among your people. We thank you for the gifts and talents you've given to them, that they can be able to do that. And we pray, Lord, that you will raise up an army of people in this place, Lord, who can be able to stand for what is true and be able to be a blessing to other people who desperately need it, Lord. We thank you for all the people that are working here, the professors, the staff, the students. We pray, Lord, that they will all be united because of the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and Lord, that we'll be able to um, lay off those burdens that easily pull us down and be able to, to see that what you desire the most from us is not that we serve you, Lord, is that we come to know you and then we serve you out of the fullness of our heart. And we pray that it's going to be true in our lives that the longer we serve you, the sweeter you grow because we are coming to know you better and better. Thank you, Lord God, for who you are in our lives. We dedicate this day and this week to you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.